We're live. All right, guys. Hi, everyone. We're very excited to be joined today on the podcast by Austin Boyd. He is the CEO and founder of Alive Print Shop, a custom apparel company based out of Las Vegas, Nevada. We got introduced through a mutual friend, Connor Hallway. Shout out to Connor. Uh, but Austin, I've, I've just got to know him recently. But what I have realized, Ryan, and why I'm so excited to have him on today is he is just a super hustler. He's going to tell us a story of kind of the origins of his company, and it dates back to his high school days. And his client list right now is just extraordinary. And some of the ups and downs he's have, I think, are going to resonate with founders across industry segments. He's a sales wizard, and uh, pleased to have you on here, Austin. Welcome. Oh, thanks, man. I, I'm 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 excited. Um, excited to see you guys again. Excited to meet you, Ryan. Uh, I loved I love talking about about you know business and growing it and um always looking to try to learn because i think i think we all know like you know if you can if you can learn from others it can save you like weeks and months and years of just having a conversation where something sparks and that's you know that's why i'm here just try to have one more of those conversations where we can all walk away and be like man we, we you know we got something great out of that and it saved me months of doing it the wrong way so that, that, that's what i'm always excited about Awesome. Austin, I am going to like take us back a little bit in time because okay. of course I can see behind you and we're going to talk about all the success you've had at present, but what are the origin stories? Because your example is a little bit different than most. You're continuing a business that you originally thought of in high school, correct? Absolutely, man. Um, yeah. Let me give you the background on it. It originally starts, um, this is the origin to the origin is that my, my family's in construction in Las Vegas and um, you know, into middle school, high school. If we weren't in school, we were on a, jo a job site working. And Vegas, 120 degree summers on top of a roof is the most <laughs> highly motivating thing that could ever happen in your entire life. I just, I'm just talking to a, a client about that who owns a construction company. And he's like, why didn't you get into construction? I'm like, because like, you know, like, bro, Vegas summers are brutal. And so that was the, the motivating factor that got me thinking, I don't want to work out in Vegas sun, you know? Um, and so somewhere around like 10th grade in high school, um, man, I had to help sell some t-shirts, I think for a club and ended up selling about a thousand dollars in t-shirts, like in a few days. And I was thinking that wasn't that hard. Like it would be nice if I could have kept that money at the end of the day, that would have been great. You know, like, um, and so, yeah, just got started in high school, um, selling t-shirts. My sophomore year of high school, I, I borrowed $3,000 from my parents, which was man, a lot of money like a lot, a lot of money and, um, bought a little press, watched a few, these weren't even YouTubes. I mean, the DVD came in the mail with watching the DVD, trying to learn, you know, how to, how to, how to do it and learn the technique. And, um, first year man sold $400 in sales as a sophomore in high school. I was devastated because I owed mom and dad like three grand, which was a lot of money and, um, just got really pumped and excited about it. My, uh, the, the summer leading up to it. And a few, a few lucky things happened, man, that um, the first day of school of junior year, I joined your book club by accident because it was, um, is what we had to do, you know, as an elective. And like the first or second day, they gave me a list of every club and activity at the school that I'd have to go take photos for part of your book club. And I looked at it and I was like, it's my first lead list. Like, this is great. Like, school's kind of like prison for kids anyways. <laughs> and I'm locked in here like seven hours a day. Now I have a list. I'm stuck here. The teachers are stuck here. All I need to do is connect with them every day and, and get their t-shirt order. And I mean, with literally within that year went from $400 in sales as a sophomore 
to uh, like $40,000 as, as a junior in high school. And uh, I think I told you this, Aaron. I mean, I remember standing in the, in, the, in the cafeteria. We had like the banker and everybody's standing in line to pay their $20 for a yearbook. And I had not sleep in the night before. I was up all night printing t-shirts and it just dawned on me. I'm like, hey, I know I'm tired, but I'm, I also know that I'm the only kid standing in this line who's going to pick up a $2,000 check. I was like, I think I can do without some sleep. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I don't think it's necessary. So I literally just, I mean, that's how it started, man, was um, hustling and selling t-shirts to, to, to teachers at school and every, you know, and all the different groups. And then I got lucky a few years after that is every year, half of the teachers seemed like they were at a new school. And that was kind of how it started growing initially. And, and we're going to have a common theme here, Ryan, and I'm going to tell it to you in advance. Austin continues to use the word phrase lucky. He is not lucky. It's not lucky when it happens over and over again. So he's just a humble dude. Uh, I think you realize uh, and recognize opportunities that most don't see and you capitalize on it. So I'm, I'm excited to, again, explore where we're going to go today. But the other thing that I wanted to bring up, and, and you told me this, and Ryan and I obviously are involved with family business. Tell, tell everyone who was helping you print, because I believe it was in the garage and you had your cousin on the project oh, too. Oh man, bro. That's every family business. I, you know, <laughs> I feel bad for the rest of the family sometimes, like, especially if you grow up in a family business. If you're the children, you are like, you're, you're enslaved labor. Like, you know what I mean? That's why your parents had you because you're free labor. <laughs> so no, I convinced, a, I, I convinced a cousin of mine. I was like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a junior, you're a sophomore, like, I have this great idea, you don't like school, I don't like school, let's print t-shirts, you know what I mean? So he would come over, and he'd help me uh, work every day, and it was a perfect fit, because we just weren't really, we weren't great students, you know, we weren't really fit out for that, we were both more hands-on type of people, and yeah, I convinced my, my kid cousin to come help me, and um, man, honestly, could not have done it without him. it was huge, huge help, and one of the biggest things is, um, I'm sure, you know, you guys have, have, you know, getting projects off the ground. One of the biggest challenges is just being alone by yourself for too long. I don't know if you've experienced that, but there was like days, weeks, there was months before I convinced my cousin to come on board where I was in my parents' garage, eight to 10 hours a day by myself, excited about this idea, but also like completely scared that what if I'm by myself for the rest of my life? You know what I mean? What if no one ever wants to come on board to this thing? I think it's exciting. What if no one else thinks it's exciting? And I just, you know, next thing I know, I'm 60 years old. I'm still by myself. I go, this is not, this is not how I want it to go. So my first recruit was like the energy of like, oh, let's keep going. Uh, we had no idea what we're doing. But it's kind of like, you know, when you start getting people together on the team, it just feels, it feels the fire. Even if, even if we're all lost, we're all lost together. It was, you know, it was a, a lot of fun. Totally. I, I want to go back to to point out one thing that maybe you kind of accidentally, with air quotes, lucked into, as you mentioned, of just like having a captive audience. You mentioned like these schools is like people were locked down for eight hours a day. I know exactly where the teachers are going to be. And if those are my customers, um, I think that's a real, really cool concept that you kind of like accidentally cornered the market like that you could Completely dominate. Accidentally. But my my key question and want to know the takeaway is that how did you spend forty thousand dollars as a junior how did you spend it <laughs> man um it vanished like you know what i mean <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it did i spent it like a magic trick i mean you know there was kind of a feeling at first where like 
hey, I'm the only kid not broke. Like, this is great. And so it was like, okay, I'm going to go, you know, I, I'm going to buy the shoes that I want, right? I'm going to do this stuff. So initially, first few thousand dollars just completely went out the window. Like, you take your friends out and you feel like you're a high roller and you're like, guys, it's on me, you know, like in and out burgers on me. Like, come on, everybody. Like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the big boss. And so that, that quickly, I learned from that, that was, that was not a great idea. Um, but the next thing that happened is, um, my pricing was still really messed up at the beginning. So even though it was $40,000 in sales, it probably cost me $28,000 for all the material, all the t-shirts. So I thought I had money coming and going, but it was like an illusion because I wasn't doing a good job tracking my expenses. I had no sort of, um, you know, QuickBooks. I had nothing set up on that end. Um, and so I quickly found out that, man, there's money, but it's not mine. Uh, but then the other thing I really had to do, I mean, fast was, was keep buying more, uh, like reinvest and buy more equipment. Like there was a time I got an order and it was an orange print on a t-shirt and I did not even own orange ink. And so I literally had to go down and because I'm waiting for the school to pay checks, uh, I, I learned quick that cash flow is a very important thing and I had no cash flow ability. So I had to go down to this local guy who sold ink and I had 15 bucks and the gallon was 65 bucks. And so I knew that I wouldn't be able to afford it. So I brought a sandwich container, like a plastic one and a plastic spoon. And I was like, hey, bro, uh, I got 15 bucks. How much orange ink will you scoop into this container? <laughs> because I just need enough to print 30 shirts. Like, can you please put a little bit of orange ink in this container? And the dude was like, no one's ever asked me this before. And I'm like, bro, here's. He's like, what am I supposed to do with the rest of the container? I'm like, I'll come buy it later. You know, this was, this was a, uh, um, a guy that sold t-shirt printing ink. He was so small. He had a storage unit. I'd have to meet him at the storage unit. He'd roll <laughs> up the door and go through some boxes and find whatever container of ink that he had. And so, but it was really amazing to realize that $40,000 is nothing. Like in right. my mind, it sounded, you know, and it sounds appealing like, oh, you know, a high school student doing $40,000 in sales. $40,000 in sales is not $40,000 in take home. You know, right. it was, it was, um, it was honestly, there was sometimes I paid my, my kid cousin and there was nothing left over. I said, crap, he's making more than I am. Like, like this is not yeah. good. So, um, sold a little bit way too fast, you know, bought stuff that was stupid and then kind of had to get myself out of a hole, even with initial sales, because I was always waiting on a school check to come in, which would take a week or two. And so um, there was not a lot left over at the end of the day. And let's fast forward a little bit because that could have been the end of it, right? Austin could have 100%. gone on and done a hundred different things. Why did you kind of continue to accelerate in this lane? And when did you take it? I don't want to say from a hobby to a job, but yeah. from a hobby to a job. Yeah, about um, about a year after I graduated high school, I mean, it, it was going, it was getting pretty good. I was doing, you know, little uh, little orders here and there, forty thousand dollars in sales a year um you know did my first semester and a half of college and, and honestly j just hated it hated every bit of it um and i'm not really that kind of person to like to just dread and hate things but i just was there and i just saw this like mentality of everybody was here especially like freshman college this was just a new opportunity for them to screw around like this was like no one was taking it serious everybody was screwing off and I was just like, this is, I don't have the time. Like, I'm not interested in, in messing around and like, 
I think later they were going to realize that all that money they borrowed was going to catch up to them. But like at the moment, it was just like, hey, we got money in the bank. We're, we're hanging out all night and everything. And I just, I, I completely hated that because I had a few people in my life that, that were doing well and there were huge, you know, like inspirations to me. And I saw them start kind of young and I was like, dude, I'm going to have to work my butt off for the next 10 years to kind of catch up. Like when my, when I was 19 and my friend bought a Lamborghini, like it, it blew my mind. Like it blew my mind in such a way that I didn't even know these things were real. Like I had a poster in my, in my you know, wall and I loved cars, but he called me, I booked a flight, I landed in California and I rode back as him with him as a passenger. And this was 2009, like before, you know, Lamborghinis were everywhere. And especially in Vegas downtown, it feels like they're everywhere, even though they're not. But um, I mean, I'm watching this guy knowing that, you know, he's in his uh, mid to late 20s and knowing that he had just spent the last eight years of his of his life and working his absolute butt off 24 hours a day. And to me, it was like I saw the clear path. Like if I want to get what 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 he has, if I want to be able to achieve that, there, there's no time for screwing around. There's no time for, you know, for um, for doing that. And I kind of had the thought knowing my parents had started a company that I can go work for somebody and I could, I could make more money than I was making now to actually get a check every two weeks. But I knew I lived at home. I knew this was the time to grind and put it all in. And if I did it for a certain number of years, I, I thought it has to pay off, you know? And honestly, the first dude, six, seven years were, were not fun, you know? Was went from my parents' garage, then an opportunity opened up to actually get a storefront. Kind of took over a failing business. Uh, I mean, that failed so much that I literally signed over the lease for the equipment, signed over the the rent because there was like there was no equity in this business. The guy was just happy for someone to take over the responsibility of the debt, and I did that. Had a storefront, then all of a sudden I have four employees and we're making payroll. And for the next five years, I mean, it was brutal. It was brutal, barely making payroll, barely making it done. Getting to the end of the year, owing taxes and having no money to pay the taxes and being like, we did $200,000 in sales. Where did it go? And realizing that, um, man, I was, I was so like undercharging everything. I was, I was constantly losing money on every order instead of making money, thinking that I was making money, but not, did not factor myself in, did not take you know, a, a payroll for the first four years. Uh, many days, uh, the only time I ate food was because mom was making dinner, you know, and I was lucky to still live at home. But um, was literally taking every dollar I had to pay payroll, to, to pay uh, overhead and rent, and any time I needed to buy additional equipment or, or resources that were, you know, part of the printing process. Speak to me about that right there, because we're glossing over four entire years. Like, yeah. how how are you surviving, like, mentally? Because that's what we struggle with right now, even as we build a business, is yeah. it's a grind. And how do you continue to stay motivated? And how do you still continue to go and be a, a great sales leader because you have you have to portray like everything's going well like yeah. you're gonna you're gonna solve this customer's problem but you know in the back of your mind like am i ever gonna get out of this like you have to be wondering that or at least that's how yeah. i always feel Co completely i mean you know it's um there's two sides to it because i mean every day i would remind myself that four years earlier in the garage to have a storefront was the dream to have an office was the dream for this to become. I remember sitting in at my desk in high school and thinking, I've got this idea to print t-shirts. How incredible would it be if it actually happened? So even though it was only four years in, even though it wasn't going well, I knew I was in the middle of it. I knew this was the dream four years ago. Like, even though it's not great, like this, I'm, I'm on the path, I'm doing it. And despite 
having challenges and everything like that, that I think the two things were number one, honestly, I was just, I was excited because I never knew it was going to happen the next day. I mean, even as a small little hole in the wall shop, we had interesting opportunities. Like, you know, one day, um, you know, like a very well-known UFC fighter walks into our gym and he needs stuff. So even though we're doing small projects, we started, I mean, I was meeting people that I just never imagined that I'd ever meet. I mean, in high school, I'm watching the Jabberwockies on TV. And three, four years later, I've got one of the guys in my shop and we're, you know, we're making t-shirts for it. Like just stuff that I was like, man, I was excited because I knew there was something there. And then at the end of the day, when, you know, when people would go home at four and I'm staying there till seven or eight o'clock, then they would be like, oh man, I got to actually confront the fact that you know, we have, we, we have bills due and we have different stuff like that. But I think through the day, I was always excited just knowing that this was the dream. I just had to figure out how to make it work. Um, but man, there was lots of times. I mean, even, um, I, I married my, my high school, my high school sweetheart. And there was times we'd go on dates and we'd hang out and I would just pretty much cry the whole time. Like there was one time we hung out and I just needed a shoulder to cry. And I was massively overwhelmed. I felt like everything was was falling apart. I feel like I was an idiot. I was like, man, I could have a great job working for mom and dad's company. And for some reason, I had this stupid idea in my head that I'm going to, you know, have a t-shirt printing company. But uh, at the same time, like I did like the ability of kind of the freedom to go out and to make it anything that we wanted it to be and not being held back by anything. But at the same time, with the freedom came the lack of structure, lack of, you know, backing, lack of anything like that. And I kind of realized pretty soon that I thought like, you know what, this is my boot camp. Like if I can survive this and make it through this, like it'll be, it'll be fine. I just gotta, I gotta keep pushing and surviving. And there was always, you know, there was always highlights that would pop up here and there of great things that would happen. And, you know, we'd have a really good month and then I'd be like, why was this month good? Like what happened different than ever happened before? And so it wasn't four years of bad. It's just, man, we've grown so much that I look back and go, man, that was much harder than it is now. But there was little highlights, I think, that kept us, um, kept me going, you know? No, that's huge. And Ryan just texted me. He somehow got booted. So the show must go on. Fortunately, <laughs> like you were mentioning before we started this, the better looking brother is going to lead us to the finish line here. That's, <laughs> so that, that, that's just what happens when there's no one to check and balance me. Man, man, we have to go back to something you said in there because I did not realize you married your high school sweetheart. Was she originally oh, a customer? That's what the people are going to want to know. Did you ever sell no, no. her a t-shirt? No, actually never. Uh, I, met her in third, I met her in third grade at church. Okay. So yeah, I met her, met her, in, uh, met her at church. Um, I was, you know, at third grade, I was interested in, you know, skateboarding and, you know, whatever. And she, I, she was much more, you know, um, sophisticated than I am. And she, I guess she liked me initially, but I, you know, I, I wasn't even on that radar. And we became really, really great friends in the middle school um, and, you know, started kind of like crushing on each other. And then out of nowhere, her family leaves, like they moved to Seattle, like they disappear. And, you know, this is like, we barely had instant message, you know, like it wasn't like what it is now. And so I honestly thought I'm probably never going to see her again. Like, you know, like it's over. And uh, I really, really liked her. And we'd stay in contact a little bit, phone calls, but, you know, not much. And then near the end of high school, her family just moved back one day. And, um, it was great because it, it helped me bypass the, the lowest IQ years of my entire life, you know, middle school, middle school, and beginning of high school. So I was a little bit on the, um, a little bit smarter when she got back in high school. And honestly, she was such a huge supporter of everything. Um, her family had a small business. Um, she learned, uh, bookkeeping, bookkeeping and accounting because 
she would do the books for her, her uh, family small uh, dry cleaner. So by the time like we kind of connected 18, 19 years old, she already knew how to do the books. I could do the sales. And we instantly became this team that I was like, hey, you handle that side and make sure our taxes are paid. And, you know, uh, I don't go to jail. I'll sell the product. And, you know, like we really like teamed up and I could not have done it without her. I mean, she was the, the, the best part of the business. And so that was one other thing is I didn't want to let her down. So it really, really kept me going even in the early years. No, that's huge. And I think we're going to talk about it. Maybe now is the appropriate time about how instrumental she's been to the success of your company. Because a story that I found remarkable is you had a chance in the middle of COVID to kind of make uh, a bet the farm type of decision. I think Everything. you mentioned a competitor was going out of business. They had equipment that could change the trajectory of your company for better or worse. And you had a very difficult decision to make. Can you kind of walk us through what happened there? You know what? It's, it's, um, I hope I can tell this story accurately because at the time it was so scary. Now I have the benefit of two years later, you know, two and a half years later of the payoff. But man, it's middle of COVID, you know, um, in March, the world shuts down. We lose 85% of our customers. We're in the business of printing t shirts for large groups of, of people, and there's no more large groups of people. There's no concerts, there's no churches, there's no events, there's, there's no sporting, but there's nothing like the world comes to a halt. Um, we barely survived the year by helping people run e-commerce brands online. Um, that was the only thing that was still open. And so, um, you know, we get down to like August, um, September of, of 2020. I see a post online um, through like a small a forum for our industry that some equipment's for sale. I call the guy I know who's brokering it. I go check it out. It's amazing stuff. I mean, brand new stuff. This warehouse was humongous. It was like a trade show. It was, it, they're, they're so, they were huge. They contracted with one of the biggest um, companies in our industry. And they were kind of like the West Coast distributor that manufactured and did all the printing. And the, the downside is they had all their eggs in one basket. They only serviced that one company. And so, um, you know, when um, a few things happened, they didn't own their building, so a new person bought the building and, and raised the rates. Um, they, they only had one customer, and when that customer dropped 80%, they literally, after 30 years in business, went out. And so I went to go buy some equipment, uh, T-shirt printing equipment, and I'm, you know, I'm there, I'm looking at everything. Guy's getting rid of it for, for nothing. And then I look over and I see all this additional embroidery equipment. And up until that point, we're only printing T-shirts. We're, we're outsourcing any hats we need made. And I had it, I was really working up on the last year trying to, figure out how to merge with another company or be able to offer everything because I was convinced they were, you know, if I could offer everything, it'd be a one-stop shop and it'd really, really help us. And so I look at it all and the guy's like, hey, you should buy this equipment. And I'm like, man, I'd love to, but I don't even know how to run it. And he's like, hey, you see all those people? Uh, they don't have a job Friday. We closed. I'm like, holy crap. So I call my wife. I'm like, babe, how much, how much money do we have in the bank? And she's like, we have, it was almost exact. She's like, we have $150,000 in the bank. And she's like, and that's kind of our thing that's going to keep us to survive through COVID. You know, we got, we got 14 full-time employees. We're trying to figure it out. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, I, I tell her, and within 30 seconds, I tell her, hey, I think we should spend it all. And I kind of pause and I wait. And she goes, yeah, I think you're right. I think we should. And I'm like, holy crap. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to be the other one that says, no, like, don't do it. Like, this is not a great idea. And I told her, you know, what it was. And she goes, yeah, I think, I think you should buy it all up. You should do it. And so I literally go to the guy and I, mean, I have to go to the bank and get cash and everything. And I spent $150,000, our, our whole savings in one day. We end up going from 12 or 14 employees to 
30 employees in a weekend, we onboard all these, uh, you know, we, we bet everything on it. Um, and we had a new building that was under construction and it wasn't even getting finished. It was getting delayed before COVID. So we were printing our shirts at one facility. I was every morning I was running across town. The guy would let me run the equipment out of his facility until they moved out. And I'm running a whole nother crew there that I've never met before. And I mean, we literally get down to October of 2020. We have 30 full-time W-2 employees and we have a thousand dollars in our bank account. Bro. Like, it's like, here goes, like, stands up on my arms. I'm like, what are we going to do? And so I got everyone together. I said, guys, like, all right, I need you to call your grandma and your mom and your mom and your aunt. And I need you to sell t-shirts to any person you've ever met in your entire life because we ain't got no more money. Like, we got to sell our way out. And, um, man, we, you know, spent, first time ever we tried um, social media ads. We spent $6,000 that we really didn't have, uh, you know, on a credit card to run ads. And we stirred up like $90,000 in paid sales in the first 30 days. And we were able to make payroll. And then I said, oh my gosh, there's a whole world of clients out there that we've never talked, that we never even would have been like touched unless we were pushed into the corner and had to come up with something new. And so we ended up surviving, making it. And then we just knew that, man, we went all in. If we can survive till January of 2021, I think it's going to open up and I think we can make it. And so, yeah, we, we bet the farm, man. We bet, we bet every. I want, I want the world to know my brother over here has spent $10 million on a mic. This thing never works. I'm on a Dell from Michael Dell, probably invented this himself in his garage. And this thing is a brick and it always works. So take that for what it's worth. Um, but Ryan, welcome back, sir, to the podcast. And Austin, I'm going to make you retell a little bit of that yes. story. But it was He's so good. It. Hopefully you don't mind doing it again. I don't I don't mind. Now that I get to see Ryan, it's, it's going okay. to be great. I'm about to cut <laughs> my own mic. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, but yeah, you're, you're asking about uh, about goals and writing goals down. And that's, that's something that's been huge in my life. Um, I did it on and off. But when I was like 26, I got really serious about it. I decided to set 90 days. My wife was pregnant. We were about to have our kid. And I just knew that I wanted some things to change and start to have some breakthrough my business and my personal life. And so um, I just said, made up mind, I'm going to spend the next 90 days. I'm going to write my goals down every day. I heard someone talk about that. I, I can't remember who it was at the time, <clears throat> but I said, man, I'm going to do that. And I know something's going to change. Like, I had a lot of faith about it. I didn't tell anybody that I was doing it. So I would take a, a, a clean piece of paper. I'd write all my goals down, things I wanted to buy, things I wanted to go, go things I wanted to do in my company. And honestly, the first 30 days, it was, it was really difficult. It felt like my head was in a cloud. There was just a fog. And every day I would have to confront myself, is that really what I want? Is that really what I want to do? Like, is that even possible? You know what I mean? Like, could we do a few million dollars in this company? Is that even possible? Like, how would we even do that? So I'm confronting all of these ideas every single day when I'm writing goals, um, you know? And so, um, man, but something started happening over about 45 days is that clarity started to sink. And I don't even know how that happened, but it, things started getting like, they started getting crisp. Like it was like fog started fading from my mind. And I started really deciding like what I wanted, what I want to do. Any goals that I had, if it was a thing, I made it really clear. What size is it? What color is it? What, how much does it cost? What, you know, all this different stuff. And I wanted to, to buy a certain house. I wanted you know, to buy a certain car. I wanted, at the time my wife is pregnant and she's driving around in a, a a Toyota Camry and the, and the door handle broke. So she has to walk around at seven months pregnant, open the passenger door, jump, you know, crawl over while her belly's growing, unlock the driver door and come back around 
And so she'd park in the back of a parking lot because she was embarrassed about it, you know? And even though our business is going, man, we've got payroll and everything. Like there was sometimes we still had no money. You know what I mean? And so I'm like, how can we have this company that is growing, but yet we're still not making any money? And I was like, I really got to make it. And that was the, the breakthrough I wanted. And so I, I made it really, really clear, man. And around 45, 50 days, it started getting clear by like day 60, 70. I'm telling you, it started getting so clear. And part of the clarity was I started realizing I'm not going to do anything that doesn't um, align with these goals. Someone asked me to go somewhere, do something, spend any sort of time. If it doesn't align with these goals, the answer is no, I'm not doing it. Like I'm not, uh, you know, um, I'm not interested in playing basketball. So if you want to go play basketball, I'm not doing it. Sorry. It has to be aligned with whatever, you know, whatever the things that I'm doing. So stop hanging out with some people, you know, stop spending time around certain people that I always felt just bummed out when I was with them. Um, got really, really dialed in. And the craziest thing that happened is on day 90, when I started, I mean, I was reading more, I was starting to go through about a, a book every, every two weeks. Um, that was on my list is I want, you know, I want to read one to two books a month. Um, when I got to day 90, uh, my dad texted me. And so, um, I don't know, but like, you know, when, when there's a few people that like, when they say they know Jesus, like they definitely know Jesus. My dad is one of those people, like he knows Jesus, like him and Jesus are on a, they're on a first name basis. Like, if anybody knows Jesus, it's my dad. You know, he, 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 prayer and faith is such a big part of his life. And he texts me on day 90. I didn't tell anybody I'm doing this. And he said, hey, I was praying this morning and um, I really feel like things are going to start changing for you. And they're really going to start. And I mean, he texts me day 90 as I finish my goals for the 90th time. And it was just the confirmation and the encouragement that I needed that I'm like, maybe I'm onto something. You know what I mean? Maybe my dad said, man, I really feel like things are going to change for you. And I was like, wow, he has no idea about this. And then after doing that and getting laser focused on what I wanted to do and, you know, where I wanted to go um, from 26 to 32, I'm 32 now, two weeks ago, I, I checked off the last goal on that list. So all, all 12 to 13 goals, we, we got keys to our new house two weeks ago. We, we started building nine months ago, accidentally went to this showroom model home eight years ago when I, it was an accident. We couldn't afford it. Like we went there and I was like, Oh crap. We're, I told my wife, we got to go right now. She's like, don't you want to look? And I said, no, like we can't even imagine about affording that kind of place. She's like, no, let's just go look, you know? So this is nine years ago when we first get married. And so I put on my, on my list, if I'm ever going to buy a house, I want that builder to make this house and look like this. And so over nine years, but the thing that blew my mind, uh, Aaron and Ryan, this is what blew my mind. I thought goals would take much longer to achieve. And I've always kind of heard, be careful about setting goals because you'll be kind of disappointed once you actually get there. Mm -hmm. I, I found that not to be the case. I found out that once I got focused, they were, they were much closer than I thought. I thought some of these goals I wouldn't do till I was in my 40s or you know late 40s or something like that. And I also found out that at least in, in I, maybe I'm, you know, had a unique experience, but every single goal that I achieved actually turned out better than I initially thought. And for one example was one of my goals on my list was I want to take my parents to Hawaii and I want to pay for the trip since they invested in my company initially. Through COVID, obviously COVID is the worst place to, you know, to travel. There was this little time where it opened up. And because of all the shutdowns, we, we rented um, like a, I took over, took over a timeshare from this lady in, in Japan that owned it in Hawaii. And because she was locked down, she got rid of it. She, she, you know, she gave us her timeshare for just the, the most killer price ever. Um, I used all my Amex points. I bought my parents' first class tickets to Hawaii. And the only reason I actually pulled, 
pulled the trigger is I got a client in Hawaii. So when I went there, I spent one day out of the week meeting with him. He was so happy that I actually flew out to meet him in person. And he gave me a $25,000 check to start his order while I'm in Hawaii. Like, bro, I could have never imagined that when my goal was to take my parents on a thank you trip, that it would work out great. We'd get a killer deal on it. And I'd go home $25,000 more than when I got there. Like, that's ridiculous. What did you learn to, to set these kinds of goals? I mean, it sounds like there was some part like, you know, intuition and kind of your internal character to want to pay it back to your parents, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, but you did mention like reading a bunch of books. I mean, I'm curious, like what types of books were on that book list? Was it like a wide kind of range of fiction, nonfiction, or was it like very pointed, you know, psychology well, all, or all, money? All, yeah, all personal development, business, um, no Harry Potter. You know what I mean? Like there was just, yeah. there was no like, I mean, if, if, if magic worked to grow business, then maybe it'd be a different story, you know, but there's no like wave the wand. <laughs> I think a lot of people think there's a way to want, right? Like Alakazam and like, man, you know, boom, we made it. Uh, I see some Instagram ads about that, you know, how to grow a business. Like, blah, blah, blah. So, but um, no, you know where it started was, uh, are you guys familiar with Jim Rohn? Yeah. Like personal yeah. development guru. When I was in high school, just starting out, someone gave me one of his CDs. And I would put that thing, I kept that thing in my car for like six years. And he would say every day, I would listen to the same like hour, like speech that he did. And he'd be like, don't get, don't try to get through the day. Try to get from the day, like every day. And he talked about one of them was called setting goals. And honestly, it took me from like 19 to 26 to actually sit down and like actually follow it. I was listening to it, but I wasn't following it, which was so dumb. And so when I finally started doing that, he had this great breakdown and you can find it on YouTube, you know, where Jim Rohn just talks about setting goals. And the only unique thing that happened is I actually did it. Isn't that amazing? Like, I, I don't know how many times I've had that same realization that I'm like, I've listened to a podcast or read a book a bunch of times, but haven't acted on it further than like yeah. actually just consuming the information. Like I'm trying to be better about that myself, like even just in my Apple notes, trying to like read a chapter and then summarize the chapter with a sentence or whatever. Like there's a starting point to writing stuff down and hopefully that hardens the memory. So I appreciate you mentioned that mentioning that as like, it's so easy to like hear and listen to like, okay, set goals. But I think the biggest, you know, the barrier is like actually doing the hard work, which is like what it. unlocks yeah. the power of, of the goals. There, there's, there's no substitute for, for doing. And here's the crazy thing. I had to listen to that same personal development seminar for like six years. And I was yeah. picking up little pieces of it, but I had never sat down. And when I started writing my goals, I took the first 45 to 50 minutes of every day. I was waking up early. I was playing that same thing. I found it on YouTube. So I was playing it like, so I could see it. And I would like literally write it down and just follow it. And I, you know, that was kind of what helped me have a format to get through 90 days of writing my goals down. Um, but at the same time, one, one person that I, I massively, uh, I love is um, John, C- John C. Maxwell. He does a lot of leadership books. Um, he has the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. I mean, even if you only read one chapter, read the very first chapter. Like he talks about the law of the lid and chapter one is like, you are the lid. You're the lid on your company. You're the lid on your happiness. You're the lid on your family. If you will grow, everything will grow for, you know, and that's, so I'm listening to Jim Rohn saying, Jim Rohn saying, if you will change, everything will change for you. And John C. Maxwell saying, you're the lid. So if you change. He said, like, you know, you're, if, you're, if you're a level three leader, you'll never hire a level five leader. 
if you're a level three leader, you'll never have level five clients. Like he said, you are the cap on your business. And that's why it took me so long to grow my business. I was starting out at 16 and I had growing up to do. I had maturing to do. I had a lot of basic fundamental skills to learn. And as I, I think as I started growing, the business grew at the same time. I was able to connect with, you know, um, just higher level clients and be able to hire, you know, um, people that were on another level because level, level 10 people don't want to work for a level six person. Just be honest. You know what I mean? If you've got level 10 or level eight or level seven skills, you don't want to go work for a level four. Like it's just, it doesn't make, yeah, it, totally. make it makes no sense. You want to work, if you're level 10, you want to work for someone that's doing the best in the world at what they're doing. And I was just not even close to that. And so that's one thing is, yeah, reading a lot of John C. Maxwell, um, and he's got so much. He's written like 40 books. So I'm always reading his stuff. Watched a lot of um, Jim Rohn, a little bit of like Tony Robbins and some other guys. But um, yeah, you know, um, but that was it. Kind of just being really focused in that personal development lane. And, and I'm assuming you're, this is on go. It's not just a past thing. Yeah. Because yeah. As, as we've learned, and I'd like to hear you speak about it, like maybe some pitfalls or mistakes you've made in the past talent seems to be the whole the whole thing like keep bringing in the best people like that seems to be the job of 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 leaders or a major piece of the job so maybe you could speak to that well it 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 is and um one book that that helped me on that was called the the e-myth it's the letter e so it's like the entrepreneur myth the e-myth and it just talked about wearing the different hats as the as the business owner and you have the you have the technician hat you physically do the work you're good at it most technicians start a business because they go, I'm smarter than my manager. I know how to do the work. They're making these dumb decisions that aren't helping me. Let me go start the, start the business. And so that's kind of where I was, was I was really the first few years I spent all my time learning the techniques and the methods to print. Uh, and I used sales to subsidize what I was doing. I was a technician who would sell to keep my business going, you know? And then it got to the point where I'm like, every moment I'm working on the job, I'm not actually growing my business, you know? So I would have, when I got slow, I would take all my time to do sales. And then when I got busy, I'd go in the warehouse and actually do the work and I could never grow outside of a certain level. And so once I was able to hand off the technical work to, to a team that I built up, um, you know, then I was like, okay, now I'm a manager and I still wasn't even really putting the entrepreneur hat on. That's, you know, you have the technician, the manager, and the entrepreneur. And the thing is those three guys, they don't really get along fundamentally. The technician says, leave me alone. Let me do the work. The manager says, like, let's keep the status quo. Let's keep the schedule. Let's keep it all good. And the entrepreneur says, hey, let's screw it all up. I have a new idea. Hey, guys, I know we just worked on this. Let me screw it all up because I got this new idea. And the entrepreneur is supposed to see a year down the road of where the company needs to go. But the manager wants to keep the status quo. And the, and the technician says, don't talk to me. Let me just do the work, you know? And so when, and when you're wearing all three hats, like, I'm printing shirts on the phone, trying to do the sale while I'm running the machine. Like it was a disaster, you know? And so as I started kind of realizing that even though, um, e even though, even though I love the printing aspect of the business, but I started realizing that was where a lot of personal development came and why goal setting changed everything is I just realized that all the skills I had built up over the beginning of being the technician, I had to let those go. I had to learn new skills to become the manager. And then when it got to the point where the team grew, even though I had spent all this time getting those skills, I had to let those skills go and go become, try to become like 
like, what the crap does a visionary even do? What, what do I even do if I'm not selling the orders and not, you know, uh, producing the goods? Like, what do I even do? And I would literally would kind of work myself into a corner. Where I'm like, I got to go figure out what to do, you know? And so doing that over and over. And I think one of the things though, man, is it, um, I'm sure you guys experience this. It sucks. Like you spent all this time getting good at something and now the job requires you to go do something completely different. Right. So we'll have, you know, that, I mean, that's, so, I appreciate you describing the, the challenge because I think that's probably something that any, like that's a symptom of success, but it's a very real symptom and probably why people have issues scaling. Like scaling seems so easy on, on paper of like, oh, you have 10 million in sales. Like, shouldn't it just be easy to like copy and paste to a hundred million? But that exact exactly. challenge that you, you kind of like just mentioned of like, I got to kind of replace myself as the technician, make sure I hire correctly for that and have the right training and motivation for those yep. people. And then I have to do the same for like the management level, which is probably even harder because it's not like go block and tackle this, you know, exactly. very black and white thing. It's more of, you know, hey, manage you people, want, which yeah. is very difficult. And then, like you said, yeah. graduating to really just, you know, sitting in that kind of entrepreneur visionary seat, that's so, you know, fluid and always changing that, you know, that, that's a real challenge for people to like not be on the on the field playing a position anymore. So it's very you're, descriptive you're right. of it's what we see. Yeah. And, and that's why you see like, you know, great athletes becoming great coaches. Like not, not every athlete can do that, but the ones that can, how do you play the game through someone else? It's like, that's yeah. what a coach does. They can't physically do it, but they're playing it through, you know, the strategy and how they're building up the team. And that's one of the challenges, man. Cause I, yeah, we're, we're actively trying to scale and learn. And now I'm realizing that I have to be okay handing off the workload and I've got to get better at communicating. I've got to get better at, you know, creating a, a system that helps everybody. And I have to do a better job of like, my job is not to have the managers necessarily work for me. My job is to work for the managers. So I literally go to each department. I go, what do you need? What would make your life easier? What kind of, you know, what system, what should we change um, instead of like, Hey, I need this done. Like, I don't, I think as, as we want to grow this, I have to more serve them and service them and figure out what tools, because they, they really know what's going on. You know what I mean? They, they, they're the ones touching the orders and managing it. And uh, I, I've seen a lot of people run companies the other way where everybody kind of bows down to, to the boss. And I don't think that's the way it should be. I think the boss is supposed to be the servant to, you know, to equip and to get them going to help them. Uh, I don't want, I don't want to answer everybody's question. I want to teach you what the, you know, I want to teach you how to solve the problem and then you don't need to talk to me anymore, you know? And so, and a lot of times that's a much slower process, but over time it's, it's what takes it to the next level. That's, that's, you know, an amazing attitude and that, that's the type of leader that I think we all kind of want to be around. So um, definitely admire that. I think as we come to a close, our traditional final, final question is the same one we ask every guest, but I'm excited to hear your answer specifically because you mentioned some of the people um, that you kind of learned from along your way, uh, Jim Rohn, Maxwell, Tony Robbins. Our traditional closing question is what's, if, if you were teaching a class, a course, a curriculum, um, what would kind of the class of Austin Boyd, um, what would kind of a mantra or a teaching or a phrase um, that you would use in that class to, to help your students do whatever, you know, they're looking to accomplish. 
Yeah, man, that's a uh, that's that's kind of that's kind of a difficult question, but um, I, I you know a few a few things that I look in my life that have, have made all the difference is um, is is one j- just believing that there's opportunity out there. Like you, you have to absolutely believe that there's opportunity out there. You have to know if, if it's in the business realm, you have to know that there are customers out there that have a real need that they would love to pay you. They would love to. They have they have a need and they know you can solve that need better than they can. They know they don't have the time or the energy or whatever, but they do have the the money to pay it and they want, you know, and they need it done. And they would be thrilled. It would be thrilled if you did it for them, you know, because I that was a challenge that we had, you know, like when I'm sitting in my parents' garage by myself, I'm wondering, does anyone even need t shirts? <laughs> I start realizing, well, I don't see people walking around naked. So yeah, I think they I think they need t shirts, you know. And so uh, and then I just Every time I would travel to a new city, I'd be like, dude, there's people here that I've never met. And as I'm driving on the freeway in a new city, there are warehouses and companies and things that they don't even know I exist. And there's so much out there. And I think, you know, if you get stuck thinking that it's all right here and you talk to every person that you currently know, you think, well, there's no more opportunity. That's, this is why, this is why I bought the car. This is why I put myself in very uncomfortable situations because I want to meet more people that are out there that either they're going to solve a need for me or I'm going to solve a need for them. And I think just kind of getting that bigger idea that I, I constantly try to wake up with. There's, I mean, most of our business is not contractual. Like I don't have any sort of contractual obligation with mo- most of my clients to come back next month and reorder. So I always have to have faith that there will be a need next month. And even, even like right now, we're coming off our best month we've ever had in history. And when you start the next month and, the, and the, it starts back over at zero, you start wanting Will that ever happen again? Oh my gosh, like that was a great month, but will that ever happen again? It's like, absolutely, you know? So I think if you constantly believe in that there's opportunity and then doing everything you can to be sowing seeds, I, I think that's the key. Like if, if you want if you want everything harvest right now, you're going to rip all the fruit off the tree and that's going to be it. But if you spend all your time sowing seeds, it's, it's, it's slower and it's longer. But instead of having one tree that you can depend on, if you if you invest your time and energy into more seeds, you'll look back and you'll have a whole, a whole, you know, a whole forest full of trees that you don't have to take all, like each one will come ripe at different times, you know? And if you fill up the pipeline and you fill up, you know, with, with sowing to enough people every single day, every single month, there's going to be enough, you know? And so, but if you, if you take, 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 it's going to, it's going to run out really, really quick. That was a very thoughtful answer. This, this is a great place. I think to wrap up, Austin, this has been an absolute pleasure. I feel like we've learned a lot, not just about you, not just about your business, but about business in general and mindset and really appreciate you sharing your wisdom today. Oh, thank you guys, man. I appreciate you spending time. I'm, I'm, I'm always looking to make friends. That's one of my favorite things in the entire world to do is to make friends. And uh, I mean, the moment I, after 10 minutes with Aaron, I knew I had a new friend. So I'm glad to become friends with you as well, Ryan. Amazing. Thank you, Austin. This was, this was incredible. Thank you, sir.